So if we can have our first one up, Ephraim, please. So we look back as we, we step forward to the end of Job. Okay, so we've taken four weeks as we've gone through the book of Job. And what we've learned is that this is an ancient book of wisdom. So it's not the biographical story of the life of Job. He's a character, he's part of it. But his life is then added into with all this other wisdom to teach us something about life, to teach us something about God, and to teach us something about who God is in the midst of life and in the midst of struggle. So that's the point of Job, is for us to learn something about life as we go along. So Job is not on trial, he is not being punished. The idea is that Job is uh, going through this thing because the challenger has challenged one of God's ideals of what righteousness is. And Job is this test case. He's living out, he's playing out this challenge that's happened up in heaven. And God's belief that humanity can be righteous is what Job is playing out. So all the way through this book, God has an ideal of what righteousness is and this challenger, who's called the devil, but it's actually the challenger. The challenger is saying people can't be good just because they love you. People are only good because you either hurt them or you take their stuff away. And God says that's not the case at all. And so we see this playing out in Job as Job goes through these trials. So we've had 30-odd chapters of Job and now we're coming to the last sort of 12. And it starts off... Uh, before we do that, I'd like to play you a clip. And this is a clip from the film Bruce Almighty. Uh, it's some bits that have been joined together. This is a good one because this is going to set up how Job finishes, how God responds to Job and how Job responds to God. So it's four minutes. Let's enjoy. Denied that promotion at work? Is life unfair? Is there someone less talented than you reaping all the benefits? Is your name Bruce? Then do we have the job for you? We're located at 77256 23rd Street. So come on down or we'll just keep beeping you. You must be Bruce. I've been expecting you. Who are you? I'm the one, huh? creator of the heavens and the earth, Alpha and Omega. Oh, I see where this is going. Bruce, I'm God. Well, it was nice to meet you, God. Thank you for the Grand Canyon, and good luck with the apocalypse. Oh, and by the way, you suck! Okay, how many fingers am I holding up? Now, Bruce, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. Hey, if you can't God. do it, man, that's cool. Three, two... Four, nine, six, eight, one. Okay. How many now? Seven. Aha! You've been doing a lot of complaining about me, Bruce. Quite frankly, I'm tired of it. I brought you here to offer you a job. Job, what job? My job. You think you can do it better, so here's your chance. When you leave this building, you will be endowed with all my powers. 
Whatever you say, Bill. Okay. That did not happen. And no one needs to hear about it. I'm deleting the program. No. No. I'm not gonna break it. That's what it is. Normal everyday psychotic episode. Caused by a tumor or brain lesion. Start! I was lucky. the rules rules yeah you left in such a rush i didn't get a chance to explain here's the deal you have all my powers use them any way you choose there are only two rules you can't tell anybody you're god believe me you don't want that kind of attention and you can't mess with free will uh-huh can i ask why yes you can that's the beauty of it see you around kid where are you going? I'm taking a vacation. God doesn't take vacations, does he? Do ye? Do you ever hear of the Dark Ages? Besides, I'm covered. You can clear everything up in five minutes if you want to. Right? Ciao. Morgan Freeman. Doesn't he make a good God? So the the point of that uh, clip and the point of that story is that Bruce beforehand, he's complaining and whinging and saying to to God up in heaven, you know, because all these things are going wrong for him. He's saying, why can't you just do things for me? Why can't you just make it right? Why can't you make life fair for me? Brad talked about that last week, about this idea of fairness. And fairness is always intrinsically linked to what we believe is fair, what is good for me. And so Bruce goes along and complains and then God gives him this responsibility. And to ruin the movie for you, he sort of like, he goes along and then he just, he gets all these prayer requests coming in and he just says, yes to all. And everyone gets what they want and then you see this next scene is this apocalyptic takeover because everyone's won the lottery and everyone's done everything and the whole world just falls into ruin. But Bruce believes that he knows better. Hold that as we go along. So in our part that we're going to have a look at now, it starts off by saying that God speaks to Job from a storm, from a storm. And this is a, a picture that was taken over Coburn Sound in February this year of a storm that was rolling in over Coburn Sound. And you just kind of just think a little bit about what the author of this book is trying to convey to us. So here is this storm and then 
God tells us that he speaks from the eye of the storm. And this is a, a photo from the International Space Station of Hurricane Isabel in 2003. And they have this beautiful picture from space of the eye of this storm while there's all this chaos going on around and there's all this natural power being displayed everywhere. There's this eye of the storm and Job and God are in the eye of the storm and they're having this conversation. That's where what we're going to read takes place. So if you have your Bible or your device, please turn to Job chapter 38. We're going to have a look uh, at a lot of scripture today. But Karen's going to read it out to us. It's going to be on the screen. But if you have your Bible, Job 38, we're going to have a look at verses 2 to 11. Take it away, Karen. Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand, stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? So for 38 chapters, God has been predominantly silent. For most, there's a little bit in the beginning and then there's this whole lot of this book, there's a whole lot of this story where God says nothing. And what we hear about is Job... Job's thoughts, Job's friends' thoughts, his three friends' thoughts, a little bit from his wife, and there's this constant discussion and these constant words about God, about who he is, about how he works, about how the, the world works and how the universe functions. And now in verse 38, in chapter 38, God finally speaks and he says to Job, were you there when I created the world? You've been speaking about how everything functions and how everything works and how it all should work. And God says to him, were you there in the beginning? Were you there when I thought it, when I spoke it, when I spoke order from disorder? Were you there when I did that? No. And the whole of chapter 38 is this constant reaffirming God saying, who are you and who am I? God speaks all the time to Job. He says to him, I want to start to ask you some questions. I want to start to speak about who I am and about how you are. And then let's start discussing who's got a right to question who. Let's keep going with our reading. Next one. I'll finish the first one. How was its foundations poured and who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose. And said, stay here, this is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. So we're getting a story about perspective. And these are some pictures about how things can look different from different perspectives. Job is living his life and he's struggling and he's going through these hard things. And as we would expect, he's crying out and saying, why is this bad stuff happening to me? And then his friends are coming along and saying the same thing. But as we play with perspective, and that's what God is doing now, we start to see things a little differently. 
we start to see things, that one didn't work too well, but we start to see things a little differently as we change our perspective, as we look from a different angle and a different place. And now we have God speaking life into this situation. Because where were you, Job? Where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I set everything in order? Your idea of justice, your idea of fairness is just that. It's yours. And now we've, we've got this other perspective. We've got this looking at it from a completely different angle. We'll go to our next reading, Job 40. Now what do you have to say for yourself? Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges? Job answers God, I'm ready to shut up and listen. Job answered, I'm speechless. In awe, words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I've talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. I want straight answers. God addressed Job next from the eye of the storm and this is what he said. I have some more questions for you and I want straight answers. Do you presume to tell me what I'm doing wrong? Are you calling me a sinner so you can be a saint? Do you have an arm like my arm? Can you shout in thunder the way I can? Go ahead. Show your stuff. Let's see what you're made of, what you can do. Unleash your outrage. So God has been speaking for a number of chapters and he's basically just been pushing back. We've got this different perspective and now our our, our sort of clip from Bruce comes a little bit more into play because Bruce really did believe in his heart of hearts that if he had the power of God, that if he could make his own decisions that the world would be perfect. And he does. And you see, as the the film goes on, you see Bruce make these decisions that are great for Bruce, but they're terrible for everybody else. They're terrible for everybody else. And again, we get called into question this idea of fairness and this idea of do if we actually do get what we want, is that actually what we want? If we actually do get what we want, is it actually good for us? Is it actually what we want? Because sometimes what we want is not good for us and it's not ultimately what we want. Ask anybody who's in the stages of addiction and when they want what they want, it's not always good for them, even though they want it with all that they have at that point. God and Job are in this dialogue. Job is starting to work out that God is God and he is not. And Job speaks back saying, I've said too much over this course of these 38 chapters. I've said too much. And now I just want to listen. Now I just want to hear from you. I'm going to be quiet and listen. And God keeps going on about, were you there? Did you form the ocean? Did you corral it so that you knew where it was? He keeps on going, pressing into Job with this idea of who he is and who Job is. Job 40, verses 15 to 24. So now God is stepping into a new phase, a new... Listen to the language in this. Look at the land beast, behemoth. I created him as well as you. Grazing on grass, docile as a cow. Just look at the strength of his back, the powerful muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar in the wind. His huge legs are like beech trees. His skeleton is made of steel. Every bone in his body hard as steel. Most magnificent of all my creatures. But I still lead him around like a lamb. The grass-covered hills serve him meals. 
while field mice frolic in his shadows. He takes afternoon naps under shade trees, cools himself in the reedy swamps, lazily cool in the leafy shadows as the breeze moves through the willows. And when the river rages, he doesn't budge, stolid and unperturbed, even when the Jordan goes wild. But you'd never want him for a pet. You'd never be able to housebreak him. Can everyone say behemoth? Come on. Les Murdy would say it much better than that. <laughs> Can everyone say behemoth? behemoth? Behemoth is important. I'm going to talk about behemoth quite a bit in a minute. But God is comparing Job to behemoth. Okay? So in verse 15 we see, I made, I made behemoth like I made you. These two are being grouped together. God is saying, you and behemoth, listen, because you two are the same thing. I'm using this part of the story to teach you something, Job, about you and about life and about what you're going to do with your suffering. Behemoth was content and well-fed as Job had been. Verses 16 to 18 speaks about Behemoth being strong. At the start of Job's story, he's described as being wealthy and strong and as a a good man. In verse 19, Behemoth is the first among his kind. God says those exact same words about Job, exactly, in Job 15, 7. Verses 20 to 22, Behemoth is cared for and he is sheltered, as is Job. And Behemoth is not scared of the river and the storms. He is secure in himself and he is secure in God. That last part of that text is highlighted uh, as Karen read it out for us. But that is profound. So when you stop and have a little look, God is comparing him, God is comparing him and Job together. Now Job is, sorry, Behemoth, sorry, is the greatest land animal that had ever been. Okay, it's this mythological creature. He was the greatest land animal that had ever been. Nobody could overcome him. Nobody could destroy him. He could run over everything. He could eat everything. He was unstoppable on the land. He was the ultimate. God says to Job, you and Behemoth are the same, Job. You and Behemoth are the same. I've grouped you together because I want you to understand, Job, that you and Behemoth are the same. He is unstoppable. He's unkillable. He's undestroyable. And there is something about you, Job, that is unstoppable and unkillable and undestroyable. There is something about your spirit. There is something about who you are that is just like Behemoth. And then he says to him at the end, He says to him about this being in the storm. He says, Behemoth can go into the river. He can go into the river and the river's raging all around him and he stays strong. He stays solid. Even though he's in the the midst of the swirling river, he is solid. Job, you are like Behemoth. Job, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the biggest chaos that you've ever experienced, which we just had 36 chapters of, God says to him, you are behemoth. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of everything that's going on, you can sit and be solid. Because that's who you are. 
Because there's something about who I am and who you are. And when you know who I am, as we're starting to see Job is having this revelation right at the end of the book. He's having this revelation of God and he's saying, I'm no longer saying, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Job is not saying that anymore. Now Job's saying, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to listen to you. I've given up trying to say it's not fair and it's not what I want. I've put all that aside and now I'm accepting my suffering. I'm accepting my struggle and I'm saying I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen to you. And when he does that, God blesses him and says, you are just like behemoth. You can sit in the midst of a river that's raging and be, and be. Doesn't mean that the river will stop whooshing around you. It doesn't mean that all the chaos will stop around you. But God is saying to him, there is something in you when you know who I am and you know where I sit in the scheme of things and you know I created this world and I love you and I'm for you and I'm with you. When you know that, you are behemoth in a river and the river can be gushing and whooshing and swaying all around you and you can be solid in yourself. You are behemoth. Can you say, I am behemoth? Oh, you're saying it good now. When, uh, when I was, my, I think my dad died about two or three years ago. I can't remember exactly now. But as he was coming to the end of his life, I sat with him uh, quite a bit and we talked and we planned out, like, he asked me to do his funeral, and we planned out his funeral. It was quite a surreal thing to do. And he was sitting down, and he was telling me what he wanted to be communicated through his funeral. And what he, he says, this is what I want people to know about my life. And what he kept talking about all the time, he kept talking about the peace that he had in the last part of his life. And I said to him, what do you mean, Dad? I said, that sounds so cliché. And he spoke about a lot of his life had been very traumatic and a lot of his life had been marked by uh, other people's decisions and their effect on him and his own decisions and things he did well and not so well. Uh, but the last part of his life, there genuinely was a peace to him. And as he knew he was coming to the end of his life, he said that God had never been so real to him in all of his life than in the last few years. And I said, why? He says, I just feel him inside Aaron. He says, I just feel him inside. That's behemoth. That's in the midst of the biggest storms and the biggest river rushing and the biggest chaos. And this guy's coming to the end of his life. Yet there was something about being able to sit in the river and know. And that knowledge didn't stop him dying. That knowledge didn't ease his suffering in the physical sense of the word, but there was something in his spirit, there was something in his heart, there was something in his thinking that just said, I know this is difficult, but I'm behemoth. I am behemoth. And I'm going to sit in this place, and it's going to be okay. I think that's what God is trying to help Job see. And I think that's what we are seeing Job come to the revelation, the realisation of his place in this world and what suffering can and can't do to you. If somebody's going through a hard time, uh, the worst thing we can do is say, just trust in God. And that might be a very, a very profound truth. But when you're in the midst of it, 
That's the last thing you often want to hear. But when things are calm, <laughs> that's when we can do the work we need to do to make that real in our lives. We've gone through uh, the land animals. We've gone through behemoth and God. And now we're stepping into the ocean. And we know from Genesis that the ocean is this unparalleled place of power, fear and chaos. And in the ancient world, the ocean held the chaos creature. We knew that from Genesis. And the chaos creature, another name for that is Leviathan. And we're going to hear, Karen's going to read to us now, God speaking about Leviathan. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird? Or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. The behemoth is the greatest land animal. Leviathan is the king of the sea, the king of the chaos, the one who cannot be tamed, the one who cannot be caught, the one who cannot be gathered. He is just unruly and absolutely powerful. He is unstoppable. And God says, and he's like my pet. In Psalms, he speaks about how I made Leviathan for sport. How I made him as a pet. God's saying he's all of these great things and I am so much more than him. And he wants to rebuke Job and say to him, all your ways to try and control me are just folly. The ways that you try and bring in this, uh, this principle of if I do good, God will bless me. If I do the right thing, God will look after me and my people. Um, he says, you're trying to gather the forces that you have no capacity to gather because just like Leviathan is ungettable and unbreakable and uncatchable and unkillable, he says, I am even greater than him. Don't ever try and control me, Job. Don't ever try and make me or force me or somehow try and put my arm behind my back so that you can try and make me do what you want me to do. Don't ever try, Job, because it's just... Silly, it's foolishness. You can never ever control me because I am even greater than Leviathan. This is an, an artist's rendition of what he believed it to be. There's Leviathan down the bottom. Here's a picture of Behemoth, and here's God up the top. So we have these mythological creatures that were greater than anything else. God has said all of these things to Job and now Job is going to respond to God right at the end. This is in chapter 42. I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it, I was the one. 
I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumours of you. Now I have it all firsthand, from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumour. Love that last line. I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay and crumbs of rumour. I'll never again go by what other people say about you, God, because I've heard your voice. I've been spoken to in the eye of the storm and you've outlined to me who I am. You've told me I'm behemoth. You've encouraged me. You've instilled me. You've given me this wisdom about my capacity in this world. I'm greater than I ever knew. And then you showed me who you were, which is greater than the greatest thing we've ever thought possible. God, that greatest thing we ever thought possible is your pet, is your pet. And now I'm going to worship you. And the worship Job gives to God is not kind of contrite. It's not saying the right things. It's not platitudes. What he's saying is, I know who you are and I know who I am and you're good and you're powerful and you choose to love me and I lay myself down before you and with you I can encounter and I can go through everything that is in life because I know something inside of me is behemoth and I love you. The challenge at the start was no one will ever love you, God, just because they love you. They'll only love you because of what you can do to them. And now at the end of the book, Job says, I love you because you're good. I love you because you're great. I love you because I just love you. The challenge is met, was overcome. Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus, everything. But the challenge has been overcome because this guy has found out something of the heart of God and he has fallen in love. He has fallen in love with God. And in that falling in love, his heart has come alive and he's been able to repent from the ways that he has tried to force God in the ways that he's tried to make God do things. He's repented and now he's able to enjoy the blessing of God. And the last part of uh, the book of Job is his restoration. And he's restored not because he's owed, he's restored because God chooses to. God's able to bless him now, not because of this principle of you do the good thing for me and I'll do the good thing for you. He's able to push all that aside and now he's able to just bless him and enjoy him. And so Job is restored. And the last part of the chapter is where God confronts his three friends and says to them, you don't know who I am and yet you speak of me. And God calls them to repentance and Job prays on their behalf, offers sacrifices and these three friends receive forgiveness because of who Job is now and what he's able to see. He met God and it changed who he was forever. He met God and he reinterpreted his idea of suffering. He reinterpreted his place in the midst of the suffering. Job learnt that he was behemoth. We're going to take up communion now. Uh, As communion comes around, please just hold communion. Hold your bread, hold your wine. If my helpers will come and help me.
As communion comes around, just hold on to your communion. And begin to think a little bit. Begin to think a little bit about ways maybe that you have thought about God and maybe ways that you have tried to make God act on your behalf. Ways that you have tried to make God alter this world so that it's better for you and easier for you. Just hold on to that thought as you hold on to the bread and the wine, the representation of Jesus.
So as you hold your communion and as you have reflected and thought about maybe ways that you have tried to strong arm God, maybe ways that you have tried to make God make life fair for you, just as Job had this moment when God spoke to him in the storm of repentance, that repentance led him to a place of freedom and it led him to a place of realising that he was behemoth. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read out Job's uh, confession again to God and I'm going to read it out to you. And once we've finished doing that, we can all say together, I'm behemoth and then we're going to take our communion. Okay? I admit I once lived by rumours of you and now it is firsthand. For my own eyes and ears, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never again live on crusts of heresy and crumbs of rumour. Let's say together, I am behemoth. Let's take our communion. Father God, Jesus came because you called him. He wanted to and the Spirit empowered him. And when Jesus stepped into this world, he stepped into this world and said, I will trust in God no matter what. I will believe in the goodness of God. And as humanity grabbed a hold of him and put him on a cross and nailed him up there, and as we heard him and whipped him, and as we did all of these things, Jesus still maintain this love for you he still maintained this integrity and at the end of his life he gave his spirit to you he trusted you in ways that we never could and because he did that Lord we were able to now step into friendship and relationship with you Father Job teaches us that how we think of life and how we think of you profoundly affects how we experience life when it's difficult and Lord, just as Job had this moment of repentance and just as we have symbolically sat and thought about some of the ways that we've tried to make you do for us, the ways that we've tried to make you lay the road out that is best for us, as we have repented and as we have declared the words of Job and then spoken your words over us of who we are, Lord, with that idea of being this great animal, this great beast that is strong, this beast that is able to sit in amongst the river and allow the river to go around it, not be moved. God, as we go through life and as we go through our struggles, as we go through work and family and health, as we go through financial difficulty, as we go through hardship, God, would you remind us that we are behemoth? Would you remind us that we can sit in the river and it can go around us? Would you remind us that in the midst of the biggest struggles that we know, we can be solid. We know who you are. We know who we are. And we know that you love us and we know that you are good. Lord, I thank you for this ancient book of wisdom. I thank you for its challenging words. And I thank you that its, its message is as true in 2018 as it was when it was written. To a people who are ancient, who had no understanding of technology, Lord, we can read those words and it can speak absolute profound truth here. Lord, for, for this church, for my people, God, would you remind them that they are behemoth? Would you remind them that in the midst of the storm that you are good and you love them? Holy Spirit, instill that in us as we go out this week. Make it true. 
We pray all of these things in the good, godly, and resurrected name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, church.